Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest Empire Podcast spoiler special. This one is dedicated to one of our favourite films of last year, that's 2021, in case you're listening to this years down the line, and a film that we reckon might well walk off with the best animated feature film gong at this year's BAFTAs and Oscars. It is, of course, the wonderful The Mitchells versus The Machines. But Chris, I hear you cry. You did a spoiler special for this when it hit Netflix last year. You even talked to the film's writer-director, Mike Rianda, and then you and the rest of the team waxed lyrical about it for ages. I definitely remember you doing that. And, dear listener, you are correct. You are correct. But this is another chat, and a spoilerific one, in which I speak to the film's incredible producers, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And this isn't any old chat, oh no, 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 no. This is a live chat which was recorded last year at the tail end of a very exclusive Empire VIP club screening of the Mitchells vs. Machines at a swanky members club in London town. Oh yes, indeed. But in the wake of the film's Oscar nomination, we've now decided to throw this open to you, the members of the VIP club who couldn't be there, the spoiler special subscribers, and of course, the members of the VIP club of our hearts. So sit back, relax, and listen to this wide-ranging conversation with Lord and Miller that takes in the Mitchells vs. the Machines, their general approach to animation, their careers, and much, much more. If you've ever listened to an interview with these guys, you know that they are tons of fun. And this is no exception. Do please enjoy. That was the Mitchells versus the Machines. Give it up. And now, folks, let the dark harvest begin. Please meet the producers of the Mitchells versus the Machines, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Keep it going, guys. They're almost at the seats. It was too long. Oh, thanks, guys, for too coming. Many steps. This is the best this theater. Is, I love yeah, it here. This is comfy. It's so nice. I may move in here afterwards and just, no. <laughs> just never leave. Live inside the walls like Gary Busey. It's, it's That's the, a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. It's the only way to go. Uh, guys, first things first. Um, what would have happened if Furby had said no? <laughs> oh, man. We, we didn't have an op. Yeah, we had animated it at yeah. that point. So. We definitely, <laughs> Mike so. wrote, I believe, seven letters to the Furby people, which is a guy in Oklahoma who came up There's with There's like a farmer thing. who thought of it. And it was like, owls are cute. Jeff what if Furby. I made a terrifying yeah. furred owl? <laughs> He's um, like, owls aren't a terrifying predator that haunts your dreams. <laughs> um, and we had to, you know, say that it was uh, out of love and respect. And, and yeah, yeah, of course. And, I mean, deep respect, yes. right? And respect yeah. and fear are very close That's together. <laughs> but we had versions where we didn't think they were going to say yes. And so we tried like a sort of a knockoff Tickle Me Elmo and a a doll that her face got ripped off and she looked like the Terminator and that dog uh, that flips uh, the little dog goes yip, 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 yep. um, we tried a lot of different things but cute. nothing was quite as good as the Furby and thankfully at the last minute they they acquiesced yeah. at the 11th hour I would have yes. said let's go for it let them sue us 
<laughs> I don't think that the Sony Corporation would have been uh, down with that. But. No, I know, but we didn't, wouldn't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> they never watched them. And Netflix yeah. would have been fine. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally fine with it, I'm sure. Uh, so let's, let's go back. Let's start at the very, very beginning. How did this movie come about for you? At what point did you become involved? Um, well, Mike Rianda, who directed it, uh, the movie's based on his real family. The dad in the movie is very much his dad. And uh, Maya Rudolph's character is a sort of a blend between his mom and his aunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very personal story to him. Obviously, the robot part is fictionalized. True. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the also- Yes, it's a documentary, <laughs> an animated documentary film. Um but uh, so he had been working on it for a couple of years and we got a chance to see because we were working in the same building making Spider-Verse and uh, we got a chance to see an early animatic when he was just putting it together, you know, with bubble gum and, uh, and his voice. <laughs> and, and we could really tell that he was really talented, really funny, really emotional director. Mm-hmm. And they, he asked us to come help him out and, uh, and, and help him get it to a place where he could get greenlit and and it was really we jumped at the chance to you know work with somebody we're trying to uh, our our goal in in producing is to find filmmakers that we think are talented and help them make their best mm-hmm. uh films and so we thought oh this will be easy and then it was three years of <laughs> working on it <laughs> um yeah later and and the film came out but it was uh, a really rewarding experience and and he's a real uh, super talent what were the uh, the real challenges of of making this in that three year period? I mean, coming up with new lies to tell the studio <laughs> <laughs> about how it was going. <laughs> um, I mean, the 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 biggest thing with stuff like this is always the it's a real forehead slapper. It's just always like the relationships and making you give a crap about all the jokes. And I think for a long time, this movie was about a family that was fighting and um, it became a movie about a family that's trying to get along. And that made all the difference, you know, just really um, uh, getting on the side of every character. So now you like, you feel bad for Rick because he's like too big a dummy to know how to relate to his daughter (laughs) and you feel bad for her because she's not understood or seen the way she wants to be. And, um, and then you feel bad for like, you know, Linda and Aaron, cause they just want these two people that they love so much to like find each other. So, um, it was, it was a pain in the neck, <laughs> but it was totally worth it. And uh, it was the same thing about just like the, the theme of technology is like, if it was too much, saying like, oh, phone bad, then it's like very <laughs> reductive. And the movie's made using a lot of technology, so it yeah. like, can't really be anti-technology. And, yeah, uh, critical. <laughs> and especially, you know, during this pandemic, it was very clear that, you know, technology was helping us all uh, yeah. stay connected to each other and, and, so. and be closer. And so, you know, we wanted to try and present, you know, sort of a, a, a case for uh, using technology uh well and so for her for katie it was a tool to for creativity and a way to get in touch with people far away who were like-minded and at the end of the film you know they're doing a family skype call together and it's sort of mm. trying to tell that side of the story as well as show the uh the the less uh, productive side of yeah. of technology as well which is interesting i mean because obviously the you know the, the film is presented in a really interesting way you have um, yeah, I, I think as as 
filmmaking becomes more democratized as you know you literally have a, a film camera in my hand right now mm -hmm. i can make a film in this i'm terrible so i couldn't myself but oh yes you, you guys can. probably sure, got, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. got it don't, it would be don't so say bad. that about yourself that it be so bad uh, it's true i might make a film whilst i'm doing this actually and then i'll just, just do stick it, it out. absolutely <laughs> let's do it let's stop this q a let's make some let's shoot <laughs> a scene we've got a whole crew we here. got all these yeah it's great <laughs> let's that do the shows. show right here we've got some nice lighting this is i know yeah everybody looks hot oh even better did the lights just go up whoa i don't like that. Are you guys doing this with your minds? Yes, I am. this is how good we are. Telekinesis. This is wild. <laughs> the best gaffer in the world just moves the lights with his brain. But because now everyone can make a movie, essentially, and the 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 you know the way that filmmaking grammar is evolving and developing is very much something that is incorporated into this movie. So that's mm -hmm. something that you wanted to to use as well and push. Yeah, I also. mean, I mean, kids have like a completely intuitive sense of cinema from the time that they're little kids you know and and the you know we did a little bit of this in the lego movie where like disparate things can be you know joined together when you're a kid and it all makes sense and it, everything belongs together and that's what i like about katie's filmmaking style is that there's sort of um you know you can have like a puppet next to a green screen element next to like a cardboard box <laughs> and that's and it all belongs and there's no shame in it you know there's a sh there's like um it's like a kid before they learn shame art is like so willing to sing and dance and you know express themselves right. and i feel like katie never learned that right and, and like you're saying because filmmaking has become so democratized like uh you know a 17 year old girl can like make stuff in her bedroom and then post it on the internet and people uh can see it and it's really it's really cool and exciting and it's a it's a it's so much better than when we were kids making <laughs> uh making weird stuff on our parents giant vhs cameras absolutely man i'll, I'll come back to that in a second the, the animation style of the movie and how you guys are pushing the envelope but but let's talk about how you both gotten got started and got your uh, and, and got into animation in the first place did did you both hear lee how are you going to make a living doing this question that we hear in this movie. Yes, it was definitely, um, uh, it, it was something that we could all relate to this dynamic of like weird kid that wants to make films and parents who are like trying to be supportive, but didn't really understand what you were doing. And that was, <laughs> there was like a, a famous meeting of our fathers at a screening of our senior films, which are ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, mine is called Man Bites Breakfast. <laughs> and mine was called Sleazy Goes to France. Yeah. Uh. These are Ivy League <laughs> films. <laughs> uh, the product of Ivy League educations. And like, our two fathers met for the first time and said, I don't think they can do it. Me either. <laughs> they were just like so concerned. And um, we proved them wrong. <laughs> it took a minute. Was that the motivation, just to prove your parents wrong? No, they were no, very they were supportive. actually really supportive. They were just, okay. they only really terrified. didn't believe in us. <laughs> it was not very secret. <laughs> terrified, but supportive. Yeah. But it must have been very, very different when you guys were starting off and trying to break into the into the industry. Yes, it was definitely, yeah. there were way fewer avenues uh, to make things um, than there are now. And that's you know, part of this awesome democratization. And places like Netflix, which... Um, you know, as just having more places that are willing to do more things and take more risks uh, is really good for uh, the industry because 
um, everything doesn't have to feel the same anymore, which is wonderful. And, and of course, it's interesting that, you know, you've made live action movies, of course, mm -hmm. but that you still are advocates of animation and you still actively want to make animated movies. That's never changed for you. That is true. We made a promise to Miyazaki when we met him for 45 seconds once. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he like, keep we were... making animated films. And yeah. we said, okay. Yeah, he knew and that that's we were making oath. both, and he was like, didn't want us to leave animation completely. That's legally binding. I know, yeah, honestly. Yeah. I'm sure he's paying attention. Yeah, he really checking our IMDb. He was like, that was time. a very important 90 seconds <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Do you think he follows you both on Twitter? He oh, tells absolutely. everybody that. He's I'm got a sure. he's got a burner account. He's got a burner account. Oh yeah, for sure. Every, absolutely. <laughs> Clapping back at everyone. It's called Totoro Fan 60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if it was. Uh, someone do a quick search for that. Uh, if, yeah. you know, if you have Wi-Fi, we'll, we'll we'll smoke you out, Miyazaki. We'll smoke you out. Um, but with uh, but with this movie with Mike Riando, as you say, you know, who mm. uh, wrote and directed it, did you sense a kindred spirit in oh, him? Yeah, we went by his office. We hadn't met yet, and we're like, <laughs> there's like neat desk, neat desk, like whirling dervish of papers. <laughs> And like pig pen squiggles flying out of it. And we're like, oh yeah, that's what our office looked like when we were making Cloudy. Wait a minute. That this is the this is the floor where we make oh my god, that's the office where we make Cloudy. Really? Yeah, he was in the same office. And it was like, oh darn it, that's us. <laughs> I, and think, he and, uh, I think we need help. <laughs> yeah. They really seem like, oh, they really they're like a, a better version of us when we were making our first film <laughs> which is great i like it so much better than if they were as, as terrible as we were when we were starting absolutely so 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 talk me through um and talk people through who are here today and obviously people who are listening to this who may not know what producers do in animated movies i mean such a nebulous term there's yeah. so many different types of producers there's like money producers who give money that wasn't us we don't have a lot of money no <laughs> Um, we're not going to give it to a studio for anything that we've got. Um, That's not true. Chris was handing out 50 right. pound notes. Yeah. In the okay, anyway, you guys all can. <laughs> he's, he's got so uh, much money. There's them. line producers who are like the people who are sort of trying to make sure that the movie can stay on schedule and on budget and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's creative producers like us, and there are people who take more of a backseat and people who are um, leaning forward. And we, you know, we are. I would say an intensive type of creative producer where we will, you know, um, you know, what was great about Mike and Jeff was that they really wanted to make the movie be the best it could be. And they were willing to do whatever it took and try as many different things as possible. And that was sort of the way that we try to approach, uh, our films is like not rest until we feel like each moment, each scene is as unique or interesting or observed or special or, um, unlike anything you've seen before or, or, or just fits the story properly and we leave no stone unturned and they were just as big a maniacs as us. So it was a great, <laughs> it was a great match. So we we're producers who don't care how much the movie winds up costing or if it makes any money. <laughs> <laughs> just want it to be good. Yeah. That's sort of our philosophy is like we, you know, anything is possible. Like we will do anything to make the movie great. We, paid for a couple extra weeks of mixing out of our own pockets just because we thought the movie needed it. And um, we figure that like over time, if you make enough decent things, then they more, it more or less nets out. <laughs> 
Um, do you also see your your roles as in a way protecting Mike? A hundred percent. You know that was part of it. Like as a first time director, you didn't you know have the ability to say like, no, we're gonna we're gonna be late on this, and no, we're gonna push this in a way that makes the studio uncomfortable. No, we're gonna make this look different in a way that uh, is gonna make everyone nervous. But we were there to sort of block and tackle and poke out our elbows and say this let 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 him do what he wants to do and then turn around and say like push it farther go farther like do whatever it is that you want to do that you don't think you can get away with and we'll help you get away with it yeah one one of the one of the things we kept kept flogging is like you can't make this movie convenient for the studio or for image works you have to make it you know your job is to make it super special and inconvenient and and invite people to do something that they haven't done before and 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 you guys you you're drawing all these crazy drawings and this crazy concept art make the movie look like that it's okay to demand that it looks like that and it was a it was um i think really helpful is there a specific sequence that that was particularly tough to do in 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 that regard the way that you're pushing the envelope with the animation and where you're pushing the envelope with the, the mix of humor mm-hmm. and uh, and emotion well the look of everything you know the fact that it has that really hand-drawn mm-hmm. oblong vibe that it feels like um a 17 year old like film students uh you know sketchbook mm-hmm. you know there that was the aspiration but they were sort of willing to, to compromise and it was like don't <laughs> like you're so close <laughs> like take it the rest of the way and they just needed a little bit of um really to cover you know we were able to go into the room and basically say this isn't good enough and then it unlocked a lot of um a lot of resources for and them. you know in cg it really wants to be realistic that's what it was mm-hmm. built to do and uh on spider-verse when we made that movie we had to sort of break all of the software all along the pipeline and yeah. sort of teach the computer how to do something that looked like it was drawn by hand in a different way uh, and and that was to make it look like you were walking inside of a comic book and so it had dots and hatching and all sorts of misregistration and all sorts of things like that. Um, and so then we were like, okay, Mike, what do you want this film to look like? And he really wanted the Mitchells to be feel like a handmade illustration with a sort of watercolor messy vibe. And you really wanted them to feel really analog where you could really feel the hand of the artist to contrast with the sleek minimalist world of pal mm-hmm. and have those two things collide with each other. And so then we we're like, well, let's, Let's break it all again and teach the computer how to how to paint by hand and give it a you know this watercolor illustration feel. So mm-hmm. making the the outlines on the characters that responded to light, making everything have this sort of watercolor texture, and even the light had to be like watercolor painted because when okay. you use like real CG light, it just looked like. Like it's too clean. You're putting like you're 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 painting objects in real space with watercolor and but they're too real. So the whole light itself had to be uh, reconceived um, mm. for this movie to feel flat. And then on top of that, the idea that what we would call Katie vision, where Katie <laughs> as the narrator of the movie is adding her own commentary and style on top of it, like little graffiti in mixed media form, was a thing that you know that. Lindsay Oliveris, the production designer, who is super talented, amazing uh, artist, like just went home one weekend and built the first little Katie Vision 
uh, demonstration and everybody was like, that's right. That's what we're looking for. And then, and then, then figuring out where it fit in the story that was going to heighten your experience and, and understand better, uh, Kate, where Katie was coming from emotionally and make the experience more subjective. And anytime it was sort of just like doodling for no reason, it didn't work. It always had to feel like it was something that was, that Katie wanted you to know as the author of the movie. But I love that the movie has like super expensive, like million dollar shots in it. And then on top of them are like elements that were made in somebody's backyard, you know, with felt <laughs> and like the pterodactyl has forks for plastic forks for hands. Yeah, they, Lily Nishida and Lindsay Olivares made a puppet pterodactyl out of felt and then plastic forks. And, and like shot, shot on their it, iPhone and then and use then that as an element. into the movie and you're like, all right, great. That's and, cool. Yeah. And I just, I just like that those things live together. It's just that thing of like the freedom that you feel when you're a kid. Like you just don't like, you're not precious. You don't, there's no such thing as like good taste. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's, there's also one thing that it, it, it shares uh, in common with your other movies is just how relentlessly funny it is. And there are so many gags. And I remember speaking to you guys a couple of years ago about, 22 Jump Street, which I, I thought maybe pound for pound had more gags in it than any movie of the last 30 years. And do you, are you, did you approach this movie the same way? Did you have writer's rooms with, with Mike and were you just like joke after joke after joke? After well, joke? yeah, I mean, the reason it's it's any funny is we cut out all the bad stuff. <laughs> but uh, That's we, the key. There's that's the four-hour movie. <laughs> See, I always leave the bad stuff in. That's, yeah. that's probably downfall. <laughs> we have, um, uh, you know, that editing suite is a writer's room, really. And it's the two of us and Mike and Jeff Rowe, who's co-writer and co-director uh, mm. on the movie. And, and we and Mike had a, a microphone in the edit suite, and we could think of a bit, um, get it into the edit in about 30 minutes. And then Guillermo Martinez had a Cintiq, and he was in the room sometimes with us, and he would drop a few storyboard panels, and they would send that into the So we could edit. instantly wow. review, like, an idea. And then a lot of times we would say, like, um, uh, these thing, these five jokes, we got to beat them. Here's like four ideas off the top of our head. And then they would generate like, you know, uh, four iterations of each idea. And so you'd come back and there'd be like 30 jokes <laughs> that were all like, you like this one? No, this one? No, that one's actually pretty good. And so we just workshopped the whole thing over and over and over again. What's your favorite gag in the movie? Oh, Man, that is really hard. Talk amongst yourselves while Phil and Chris come up with Boy. something. That Man. we haven't been asked that. Um, well, I've never seen an audience applaud for a screwdriver before. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And that happened the other day in Savannah. I really enjoyed that. I, it's hard for me to beat uh, Linda going crazy and murdering a bunch of robots, and then uh oil blood splattering on the thing <laughs> and you don't know how many meetings there were about the color of the oil and how <laughs> different from blood it had to be um but uh, meetings I, aside that moment really i like that she me. rips out a robot's heart then puts it in her purse and uses it, to beat and him uses with it as a bludgeon yeah that's really vindictive yeah yeah, yeah. It's 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 nasty. This yeah, be, it's like I'm not just yeah. gonna kill you. I'm gonna insult you while yeah. I do it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a U over here, but it's this close to being 18 rated. Yeah, oh, yeah. If, yeah, if for you sure. just tweaked one little thing, it's close. <laughs> it really is. You want to go but, up to the line? <laughs> <laughs> but you also have. You were talking about the emotion of the movie, and mm -hmm. the the heart of the film is the the relationship between you know between Rick and Katie. 
And was that always the heart of the movie? How uh, how mm-hmm. much uh, how much did you have to find that and and focus on it in the? It in the was edit? always the 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 big structure of the movie, and mm-hmm. it was sort of therapy for Mike, like figuring out his own relationship <laughs> with his father. By the way, it worked. Yeah, they got their relationship closer. is only better now. Hooray! Yes. All <laughs> it took was seventy five million. It's a very expensive therapy. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, six years of his life, but uh, that's pretty good. That's a pretty decent investment. He put, he put in the he put in the time. Yeah, um, what an inspiring story! If you have six years and seventy five million dollars, yeah, you can. You love, too can yeah, repair your, your relationship with you. your father. Um, um, but so it was always there. But getting it to work and getting it to be something, as Phil said, where you could empathize with Katie and with Rick, and that you uh, understood where they were both coming from was the hardest trick of the whole thing. And so getting that right. And so every little, you do one thing and like suddenly Katie's too bratty and another thing and Rick's too big of a jerk. And, and like just trying to make it so that, uh, you know, I'm a dad and I'm like already getting worried about my kids going off to university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a, you know, aspiring film student uh, mm-hmm. who, uh, as as discussed before, was a little yes. bit misunderstood. Uh, uh, so it's really easy to relate to both sides of that and make sure that we could be protective of each uh, each character and uh, and love them. And I think that is a key to to filmmaking: is you need to love all your characters, even the villains. You need to love even pal. Even, even pal. I mean, how how yeah, can you not like... love Olivia Coleman? She's the best. <laughs> yeah, I know, an, an international treasure. Um, there was, I mean, the thing about it is like the family was sort of indestructible when we tested the movie. They just loved them, and the weirder they were, and the more you know, messy they were, the better. And the the pal storyline was harder for people to get their heads around until we made that a relationship story, you know, between her and her creator Mark, and that got it and you know that related it back to the family a lot more and that kind of unlocked the movie in like a subtle way fantastic and uh and chris i mean obviously you you are a, a dad as you say but are you as technologically phobic as as rick i mean you can't be right no absolutely not but my dad is and there's a scene in cloudy with a chance of meatballs where flint has to teach his dad how to send an email to save the world and that was incredibly based on a true story of a conversation I had with my dad trying to get him to send me a link to a website (laughs) over email. It was a half hour conversation and it still didn't work. I got an empty email. (laughs) Um, And so we're like, we're putting, we're going to put that in But you know he was trying. Yes. And so it is a bit of a stretch because it's sort of about our relationships with our parents who are older, uh, older generation. And I think parents of Rick's age, there are very few Luddites like that, but Mike's dad really is like a nature loving guy who built like a bathtub in the woods so he could take a bath in the woods. I <laughs> mean, um, he's just like, based on the Cialis commercial. That's right. Yeah. There was a, a commercial, uh, yeah, for uh, a medication for gentlemen that uh, <laughs> that he got the idea from. That's a great tagline. Cialis medication for gentlemen. <laughs> I don't know why. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Earmuffs, by the way. There's that's That's why I described <laughs> it as such. You immediately. Yeah. yeah no. Absolutely. Just looked out in the audience and said, oh, "Gentlemen." Yeah. Quite right. Phil, how are you with uh, technology? Um, I have finally learned. I sort of have learned Twitter. Uh, you've sort of learned. <laughs> Welcome Twitter. aboard. I sort of learned it. You do I a still class. Don't totally understand what's happening. <laughs> um, I don't. I yeah. I'm. I'm okay. I'm okay. 
Okay. I, I, yeah, I I was a computer science major for a while. Okay. Um, I I learned uh, an, an old language called C plus <laughs> plus, and I and I and I like uh, was I learning to to code in OpenGL, and I finally I knew I was not meant for computer science because we were taking this graphics class, and I just. Uh, I wrote code for um, a robot to jump on a bed, <laughs> and uh, and and then I just got really obsessed with that, and I was like doodling in all my classes, and they were like trying to make you know software to like make it all more efficient, and I was like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> um, and so I knew we were we were meant for uh, something else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, for a while I was yeah, yeah you're okay. Otherwise. I did okay. Yeah, I did okay. The first like year or two, I was in good very um, late '90s tech savvy. Very late '90s tech savvy. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like really good at like if you want me to write something in BASIC or Logo, <laughs> I'm really good. Or Turtle. So if we yeah. had like an uh, an Amiga or oh an my god, ST, I had be... an Atari 520 ST. That was that was my jam <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm going to throw it out to you guys in a few seconds. If you have any questions for Phil or Chris, then get your, your thinking caps on now. But uh, I'm going to ask you about the Mount Rushmore of filmmakers that we see oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. in the film. I'm sure you've been asked this before, but you know, just you know, do a different answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you had to do a Mount Rushmore of filmmakers right now, oh. who would it be? You can put yourselves on there. Obviously. At this moment? Mm -hmm. Like this working, moment. working today or of all time? Oh, what do you think, guys? Working today. Working today. Oh, working active today. today. Working today. Oh, so active today. Active today. I mean, I think Denis is uh, on That's like... Denis Fielder. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my good, close personal friend, Denis. Good, good personal friend. We're very close. Um, he's. I mean, he's been doing amazing work um, even since Incendies, his first film. Uh, if you haven't seen, okay. worth checking out. So he's the left. Second film. He's the left head. Big yeah, giant sure. face, Denis Villeneuve. Good. Yep. All right. Phil, your turn. Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, Soho's own Edgar Wright. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, um, Just a guy that like you always get, learn something every time you make. If I movie. say the Coens, do they count as two heads or one head of the four heads? No, of that's, Mount Rushmore? that's a, a yeah. two-headed beast. That's um, a two, even though Joel's doing his own thing now. With I know. It's, I, I'm, I'm. I hope uh, just for a moment. <laughs> yes. Just you know, just taking a break. Just taking a like, break. Like historically, that they have been people yeah. that we've always been really like blown away by their work all right so that's uh, denny Villeneuve. then we have edgar wright then we have i imagine joel and ethan are like the um that thing Conjoined. from the thing with the two the two yes. heads melting into one or the other yes, uh, so right. imagine that but okay. like 100 feet tall and then last how many how many can we add more presidents yeah, sure. <laughs> let's start chipping away let's do it who do you want um i mean i'm from south florida so i'd like to throw barry jenkins on there. oh yeah Yep. All right. My and this stuff is absolutely beautiful. Um, I would put a uh, a uh, uh, Celine Shama on there too, even though oh. I'm stealing that from Katie. That's fine. Right. That's still. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's movie. Okay. That... That's that's five. I haven't seen. There's, she's got a new one. She right? has a new one. I'm really I excited seen, to see. Petite maman. Yeah, I hear yeah. very good things. Yeah, very good things. But I tell you what. Uh, yeah. All right. That's good. That's portrait movie. Six solid choices. There you go. For a four face. Monument. Yeah, I'm happy with Can that. Can I add two more things? <laughs> Go on, screw it. Okay, Seth and Evan, yeah. who we, uh, you know, are are uh, sometimes have collaborated with. Like, I just admire so much that they have put so many original ideas out into the world. They mm -hmm. always make something that's like a movie no one's ever heard of or thought of before. Yeah, you know, and it's really hard to do original material in this 
climate and that they just keep doing it i don't know why but sausage party comes into my head constantly. Isn't that funny the, the mean, animated film not the uh, no, a not real the, yeah. yeah it's a proof that animation is a medium and not a genre yeah absolutely no and uh and uh that it could be you can make anything and those guys animation. worked really hard on that movie they there did. were like three or four like cuts that we saw over like two or three years it's true all right, so we're putting so much Seth work in into a bunch of uh, wiener jokes. <laughs> yeah, who knew? Yeah, absolutely. So we're putting Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And is that, are we stopping? Like, are we stopping the, uh, can we put the Lonely Island on there too? Oh my gosh, put the Phil! What kind of more trust is there? there? At this point, if you're not on this, you're being <laughs> like, left out. And I include like, MacGruber as a Lonely <laughs> Island film. Yes. Oh, that's controversial. Yeah, I know yeah. it's a little. It's just a bit of yeah. It counts. I'll accept it. You'll I'll accept, accept it. it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're sticking them on there. All three of them. Again, three-headed beast. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cracking right. four-person choice then for, yes. for Mount Rushmore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to stick everybody who ever lived on there. I know. Why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, there's a lot of rock they can carve. It's, it's, yeah, a lot absolutely. Of yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a blank canvas. Uh, if you have any questions for Phil and Chris, then do raise your hands and then just yeah, send them to me and I'll repeat them back for the purpose of the podcast. Yes, the gentleman here with the, the mask in the hand. Hey, it's Chris just jumping in here to say that this question was quite a long question. I explained it in just a few seconds, but before I got a chance to do so, Phil Lord jumped in with an interesting tidbit. Well, we might I, get close yeah, with uh, something that we're working on. <laughs> oh, we might I'm, get close to Lawrence of Arabia length. I will interrogate you in a second because I have to repeat this question. And uh, yes, that, was oh, a, that was a long one. That yes. was a long one, sir. But uh, on, I think repeat. in summary... Um, do you ever look at something that Denny Villeneuve is doing in live action with Dune and think that you would like to do that in animation, but it might prove difficult, especially because animation, I guess, it, most people think of animation of uh, as uh, as the the medium for comedy or as the medium right. for for sane adventures, yeah, family that. films, yeah. Um, and you know, we're very much wanting to break um, Western culture of that uh, of that myth that animation is just for comedy or families. Um, and um, so I think it would be exciting to do something like that. But when we approach a project, sometimes we'll ask like, does this feel like an animated uh, project or a live action project? And um, and if there's a reason to do it in animation that seems compelling, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to make a big giant sci-fi epic uh, animated. Um, Although I don't think there's anything that we would ever do that wouldn't have be at least a little bit funny. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be too bleak. I feel like I laughed during Dune. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I really admired about that movie is that it's so subjective. That's the thing that like I took away from it. I was like, oh, you're just in like little Timmy Chalamet's head the whole time. <laughs> and then like it helps you like tolerate all of the place names and rules <laughs> <laughs> that you have to like remember. But it you they go down real easy because you're they are you're taking them in as they relate to him and his relationships. And I remember c coming from that um, that uh, that ex I watched it with Peter Ramsey actually. And um, and uh, this guy uh, Joaquim dos Santos is one of the one of the spider the guys who's directing the Spider Verse sequel. And we went into the Spider Verse editors room and was like, that movie is totally subjective. We can't forget that. You know that we're always experiencing this movie through Miles. Interesting. Yeah, because then you you can, you can still be influenced by something now. A hundred percent. Still Definitely. every day. Yeah. yeah. And Spider Verse is sort of like a sci-fi epic. 
Interesting. And do you want to? Uh, uh, can you elaborate on what you said earlier on about you might want to make something in this? In this. Well, at that room, scale, this, you yeah, know, Lawrence of Arabia. You mentioned. Yeah, you never know, but um, but these these um ambitions get bigger and bigger. <laughs> so without being specific, um, we are working on something that's really long, <laughs> <laughs> and it might stay that way. All right, interesting. Uh, there's a gentleman up here. Yes, please. Thank you. So what were your touchstones for making Spider-Verse? Well, there were two two thoughts. One was when they asked us if we would want to make an animated Spider-Man movie. We thought, well, it'd be an opportunity to make something that didn't look like everything else. Like, all that comic art is really interesting, and you can really see the hand of the artist, and I wonder if we could make that happen. And then there was also this sort of pet peeve that we had. And similar to, I think a lot of inspiration sometimes comes from being frustrated with how things are done and wanting things to be different. And this was like, you'd see a lot of this art of books of animated movies and you see this amazing, beautiful stylistic art. And then you see it sort of like squished through the lens of CG. And you're like, man, if it could look like this concept art, that would be so cool. And so then we presented the challenge to Imageworks of, can we make this look exactly like the concept art, but moving? And it turned out to be super hard. Uh, and there's a reason why they didn't, they didn't do that. Um, but, and that's what we tried to do again on Mitchell's. And it was sort of, and it reminds me of a story of how Mike was really frustrated how in animated movies, families' houses always seem like model showrooms. They're always like mm. a f- cool mid-century house with very sleek and nothing in it. Everything's period. And... <laughs> And he's like, people don't live that way. People are messy. And like, my parents' house is crazy. And so uh, right. he and Lindsay Olivares, the production designer, like really spent all this time trying to like find a bunch of details of how people live and the mess that we live in so that the house felt the most lived in, the most authentic. And it all came out of just like a pet peeve. And they had like an affection for like popcorn ceilings and like overdressed kitchens right. and the idea that like you would have um, like a picture frame that had just been given to you as like a Christmas present and you just like, I don't, don't want to bother to throw this out. Let's just hang it. <laughs> or and, a sign that says count your blessings and looks like a cow. Yeah. Count and just kind blessings. of like it all, it, like all that stuff accumulates. And I think it helps you fall in love with the characters because clearly the filmmakers love them and appreciate what's unique about it. Even if it's like kind of, ugly we often say that we want like the movie to be beautiful without being pretty you know mm. and uh and I, th- I think um it always makes it a little bit more interesting like i remember when we made cloudy we were just like can we make this look like like my drive to culver city <laughs> like why does it have to look like a quaint new england town like that's not where we live we live in this like really weird place with full of boxes but the boxes are all interesting and all the tire shops on the on like la brea can it look like that yeah so um i, I want to take this opportunity to ask very quickly about spider verse 2 um and where you are with it at the moment and given how the first movie was received winning an Oscar, critically lauded, hailed <laughs> quite rightly as an instant classic, all that sort of stuff. No Does pressure. That, no pressure. Does no that heat pressure. the pressure on you? Because especially when you talk about how the film looks, you you yes. broke the rules, you pushed the envelope right. with the first movie. Do you feel a pressure to do that again? A hundred percent. I mean, the, yeah, that's a real bummer when your brand is innovation. <laughs> right. <laughs> we had to like push it in a different direction 
uh, on this movie. Like we felt like, okay, we have to break all the pipelines again and make something totally new with this movie. And then on Spider-Verse, now we have to break it all again and try something totally different. And the idea that we might be, you know, visiting other dimensions and seeing other art styles, uh, it was exciting. And so uh, like the stuff that they're doing already is very, very exciting. Yeah. I mean, the technology and the tools that they have built for us are so great and valuable and they just, you just feel like you're in a work of art. And so it sort of puts a lot of pressure on the story team mm-hmm. to make a work of art, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, make a story right. that's worthy of that. Um, and I think uh, the first time around, you know, we were curious if we could build the technology to to serve the story. And now the technology is is there and the art is there. And we're just making a story that's worthy of the art. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting because one of the early challenges was to cure ourselves of any like tightness, you know, and uh, any mm-hmm. burden of like, we're trying to like live up to something, uh, you know, the only way to live up to it is to break it and to do something new and to be really brave and not really care if you bomb, <laughs> you <laughs> know? So that's, that was like, like the first six months was just that. But we've really built off of the stuff that we built for Mitchell's. It's really been interesting. Like each movie is sort of building off of the next. Well, in terms of maybe the overlaying? The well, in yeah, in the... terms of like the software that was developed to sort of okay. make things look more painterly and more handmade is, is even more advanced for this movie, Mitchell's, than it was for Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is now taking advantage of all that stuff and then building on that. Yeah, I mean, like on, on Mitchell's, you know, you're teaching a computer to paint to paint 24 like concept paintings a second <laughs> you know and one of the things that's interesting about this is a very nerdy thing about spider-verse is we're getting good at um at teaching the computer to draw differently when something is far away so it draws it more as like a little squiggle <laughs> and then okay. you get like a little closer it's like a little more fleshed out and then you get right up to it and there's all this detail and sort of learning how to you know, basically create atmospheric perspective with how quickly the thing is drawn, like you would in a comic and like wow. removing detail as it goes away from camera. is like really, really fun. Amazing. And uh, I, I know we're still a, a ways away on, on that movie, but just in terms of the story, I mean, you know, starting off with a blank page in that one, you're talking about not being daunted by what's come before and trying to break what's come before. And how do you start with, with something like that? I mean, for us, it's just like the the opportunity to make the opera of that movie even more dramatic you know that's what's like that 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 miles story gives you the opportunity you know to be sort of grand and epic like that because Mm -hmm. it's um because it's on those those stories in the comics are on such an epic scale and they all um they're all emotionally really um you know they they go to um, challenging places for those characters so that's just you try to think about those those people and what is meaningful to them and what um what would be really hard and challenging and what would make them grow you're sort of trying to give them like a really tough obstacle course <laughs> to get through so they can become like even better people all right so we've got about five minutes left folks yes please gentlemen over here thank you well, yeah, there's a Quincy Jones piece um, when Mama freaks out. I, I will repeat that. Uh, so the two questions were, do you use a lot of Foley effects on this movie in terms of the sound mix? And uh, there are a couple of Tarantino cues in there. Were they, were they in jokes? Where do those references come from? Uh, I think there's that Quincy Jones cue. 
right mm-hmm. when mom flips out mm-hmm. and then there's another one that cost the, a pretty penny i just fire, remember at the fire but they're all <laughs> the idea being that this is katie's film and she's a huge film fan her socks are from the shining and there's all sorts <laughs> of like you know filmmaker homages in her stuff and just blatant ripoff stuff and so uh the tarantino stuff is definitely just part of that idea that this is this is the world that that katie is is seeing everything through and then um and then we did use foley um we had foley artists on, yeah jeff rubay shoots a lot of stuff mm-hmm. every time we we use him on all of our animated movies and he always um he always runs around you know before we're finished Slapping with the movie a watermelon with a chamois yeah since he knows the movie's <laughs> going to change a lot um he runs around he goes out and does field recordings um you know a lot of cars and stuff like that their station wagon there was like a there was a lot of work there um quite a bit of uh dog sounds <laughs> uh, were recorded and including some from doug the pug and then um it was a, like a famous internet dog uh and and a cherished crew member um and and uh yeah and then you know that that mix gets really um gets a lot of attention and love you know we like to say that it's like half the movie you know hence two weeks of extra mixing time Oh yeah, on top of the longest mix Sony Animation had ever done. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> oh my god. All right. Um any last questions for Phil and Chris folks? Okay, it's Chris again just jumping in because I forgot to recount the question in the room. This one comes from Amon Warman of this parish who was in the audience and as you might expect from Amon, it was about the soundtrack and specifically the film's signature song Live Your Life. Was it always in the plans from the off? Amon asked. Was it yes. the very first song? It was the song for the last two years. Yes, we there was a weird uh, uh, bake off where we tried to uh, everybody pitch different songs because that song was expensive, uh, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to get it or not. But there was something about it. You know, there was there was a moment where it was Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody, which was fun. But then it was weird having like a dad sing to her daughter, like, I want to feel the heat with somebody. And you're like, I didn't work. That's not going to work. Uh, And so there are a lot of songs that like, oh, this almost works. It's like has to be joyous and fun and celebratory. And and that one had also has that sort of weird, like Numa Numa internet aspect to it. Uh, on top of it but yeah and it's like silly and it's mm. but it's also really good and it's and it's also really fun yeah and the in in the context of the movie like even when it was just storyboards it may makes me cry yeah <laughs> i don't know what it is it doesn't make me cry when i hear it on the radio yeah. but it does in this context is just seeing people Them like completely celebrate. be be willing to embarrass themselves for one another and do it together right and so we tried a bunch of different things and nothing felt the way that that felt and when you would see even in storyboards animatic you just like this this is the song it has to be the song and uh and so it was a, yeah. it was it means that like somebody has to go tuck their tail between their legs and go back to rihanna and say we need it <laughs> we could we have like 30 more seconds of it and it was uh and look not everybody is willing to pay any expense for mike and his father to have a great relationship <laughs> <laughs> but mike is but mike is and yeah. we are the, the, the ceiling was 75 million That's it was like not a penny more, more. like 75 million and one rihanna song <laughs> My, um, yeah, yes, I see you owe her 25 cents. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. 
Then we had another question, which I didn't recount in the room. This was from someone who loved Spider-Verse and particularly wanted to know about the relationship between Miles Morales' dad and his uncle, especially the scene where Miles' dad found his uncle dead. Spoiler for anyone who's seen, not seen Spider-Verse, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. It's been like three years. You should yeah. see it. Rosebud's a sledge. It's okay. Oh, come on, man! <laughs> The question asker wanted to know if there was any disagreement about that scene and about how the relationship between Uncle Aaron and Jefferson, Miles' dad, came to a head. We had a complicated backstory that's sort of loosely implied in the movie between them and a whole backstory as to like how they had, you know, come up in one way and then separated and Jeff, once Miles was born, changed uh, his path. And there were times when that, story was more explicit uh but it it always felt better when it was just more implied by what wasn't said um and so that was you know something that we really explored what level of that to do but even with it as under the surface as it was that moment remained incredibly powerful um and it was always in the script that miles was a product of these two different relationships you know that he had um, and that he was getting something important from each of them. Um, and that's all in the comics. Uh, there's one big change, which is, you know, in the comics, um, Aaron, you know, when he dies, says some really harsh things to Miles. And it was, for some reason, really hard to tolerate in the in the script. And it never that never made it into the, you know, that never got drawn uh, for some reason instinctually we just thought it didn't, it like reduced. Um, I love it in the comics and in the movie, it seemed to reduce Aaron mm. to, you know, a purely negative influence. And we didn't think that was right. And, um, you know, we all have family members that like, you know, like I had, I had like uncles that meant a lot to me that like didn't get along with my parents and they, and they were a mixed bag, but they still were part of my life. And, um, and, you know, I think that's, that's part of like Miles' story is like the way he takes a little bit of something from everybody and like turns it into, you know, um, his adult self. Yeah. Two very last quick questions for me, and then we'll let you guys go. Uh, there is a line in this movie, who'd have thought a tech company wouldn't have our best interests at heart? Uh, this was, of course, made under Sony. Uh, was it difficult <laughs> getting that line past them? You know? No. It no, was. Right. They were. We they, have had very little content interference from our um, our mm-hmm. our corporate overlords. <laughs> yes, they have. I mean, we didn't like say Sony Corporation. They're like that's obviously about Facebook, right? <laughs> um, um, but I mean, know, they're they, like Sony is very low on the list of of, <laughs> of technology <laughs> companies that are bad for you. Yeah, I agree. Like the Walkman, what a great invention! It's wonderful. Revolutionized everything. It did. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So That's, we we had no no interference creatively with them whatsoever. So the quietest SLR cameras. Oh yeah, just Fantastic. very gentle <laughs> shutter sounds that they make. They're wonderful. I've got nothing bad to say. And don't get me started on the Sony Bravia TVs. Oh, my, oh my God. Gosh. I sure would like one to be delivered to my house. That yes, would be I nice. would. <laughs> I hope they're listening to this podcast. They're great. Well, I'm going full Oprah now. We've got a TV for everybody. Yes! <laughs> Just send the bill to Phil and Chris. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Pair of Sony of America. I giveth and I taketh away. And yeah. the, the last thing is, is this movie a one and done situation or is there a sequel mm. in the works? Across the Mitchell first, what are you yes. guys working there on? There are many the, sequels that this Katie is the has real 
MCU, the Mitchell's cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, um, yeah, Katie has a bunch of uh, titles. Yeah, she pitches in the at, movie at one point. There's a lot of like hidden uh, subliminal messages that the idea was let's. Uh, it was really Mike's idea to like put like positive screeds hidden in the movie where if you freeze frame, you can see like messages to want to be filmmakers, encouraging people to be artists and to not be afraid and things like that. So the most subversively positive uh, (laughs) uh, thing you can. But one of the things is a list that Katie has of potential sequel ideas, including the Mitchells versus ourselves question mark. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's not enough question marks in titles. In movie titles. These so um, it's certainly something that has been discussed, but Mike is uh, is passed out right now and okay. uh, needs to recover his. I think his he needs body. a lot of encouragement. That's though. right. Do you think? Because I've I've met Mike and he's a very very lovely guy, but I'm I'm please don't think bad of me for saying this. But do we need to you know incite some traumatic experience in his life so he can go to therapy and have another six months? Oh, that's right. We need to split his father apart. We need to incept. (laughs) We need to incept something in his family relationships. This is a great idea. I'm going to start planting weird rumors (laughs) with his mom. All right. Well, on that note, one of the things that is great is Mike is going to make a bunch more great animated movies. He's really yeah. dedicated to it and already cooking up something else. So there's going to you're going to be I have a lot more sequels to at least more more in the Mike Rianda cinematic. Universe. <laughs> yes, the, the MRCU. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. C. And Jeff Rowe also is right. uh, making yes. his uh, directorial debut. Yeah. Um, I, think I don't know if we I don't know if we can break that news, but he's um, it's but it's on a movie you're going to like. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, on that note, we're off to break uh, Mike Rianda down bit by bit yes. uh, until he makes Mitchell's too. Um, I wanted to thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you for your questions. Thanks most of all, of course, to Christopher Miller and Phil Lord. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming out. And there you go, folks. That was Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And that is it. For this, the Mitchells versus the Machines interview special. Told you there was a whole bunch of other stuff in there as well. They have an incredible career. We didn't even really scratch the surface. Hey, listen, if you are an Empire VIP Club member, then of course you know that you will have had the chance and will have the chance to attend events like this throughout the year as part of your membership. And yes, we know that these events, when they're not across Zoom, are largely London-centric. Believe us, we're trying our best to change that. But that's not all. As you know, of course, you get a subscription to Empire Magazine, a subscription to these very spoiler specials, and a 12-month Picture House membership. Sounds like a bloody good club to me. So if you're not a member and you want more info or you do want to sign up, this is the shameless plugging bit, go to empireonline.com forward slash VIP and all the goodness will be there for you. And of course, if you're a subscriber to these and keeping peeled for more spoiler specials coming your way over the coming weeks, including Spider-Man No Way Home, the long-awaited listener's question special, which we recorded just the other day, and I will edit, hopefully, <laughs> this week, that will also feature an in-depth interview with the film's writers Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. There's also Uncharted with director Ruben Fleischer and the entire Hot Fuzz retro spoiler special with Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. 
You can hear their half of proceedings, of course, on the regular feed. It was recorded as part of our episode 500 all-day celebrations. But the bit where Team Empire does a load of quotes from the film and presents it as analysis, well, that's going to be available only to you lot whenever we get the chance to record it. We haven't quite got round to that yet, but I promise you, it is in the offing. Bring the noise. Anyway, as ever with these spoiler specials, thank you so much for continuing to subscribe. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. It means the world to us that you do, and we hope to repay your faith with more incredible spoiler specials over the next few weeks and months. Anyway, right, that's enough from me. That's enough shameless plug-in from me. I'm off to behold the twilight of man, otherwise known as my bedtime. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.